I want you to do now is open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. What we'll be doing for eight weeks is going through the book of Timothy in its entirety. It's about a half a chapter a week. So it is slightly a fast-paced speed. But nonetheless, really feel like this is what God would have for Reality Santa Barbara. And so why don't you read with me 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 today. Read now the NASB. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I remember you in my prayers day and night longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your father Eunice. Eunice, And I'm sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that we have your word this morning. That it's God-breathed and it's God-inspired and it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that even though Paul penned this letter, you authored it. This is your word. And God, we ask that we would get from it all that you want us to get out of it, God. We ask, Lord, that you'd give us incredible understanding of how this relates to our own lives and what this means for us. As Paul is speaking to Timothy, we ask that we would understand and hear what you are saying to us through this letter. And Holy Spirit, we pray, God, that you would do this work in us this morning, that you would stir up the gifts in us, that you would kindle afresh the gift of God in us. God, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts that would change us, That we would not walk out of this room the same. You're obviously and clearly moving in our midst. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be left behind. Not one of us would not miss out on how you would use all of us and all that you're doing in our midst. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Anoint and empower our time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During the early years of World War II, Britain came out with a series of wartime posters with the intent to boost British morale in the anticipation for Germany attacking. There were three posters that the Ministry of Information put out. The last one was never released, but was going to be their final attempt to motivate British citizens to not fear but to continue on in not only their British life, but to band together and fight back their oppressors. 
In light of the tide of the war changing, Germany never did attack mainland England on the ground. And that final poster was almost altogether forgotten. It actually was gone for about 50 to 60 years. No one even remembered it. It wasn't discovered until the late 1990s. That poster was the famous saying that we all know, keep calm and carry on. That was the poster that was lost. This was Britain's last and final attempt. They actually had two and a half million of these ready to put up all over the UK if Germany was going to attack mainland. With the same intent that the British had with this, that poster would not only, you know, their hope was that that poster wouldn't only boost morale, but it would also encourage citizens to continue on living and fighting. Hey, it's going to be okay, but keep on. As we begin to open up Paul's letter to Timothy, we'll see that Paul, in the same way, is writing his final letter to Timothy while in prison, Paul facing his own imminent death, and he's charging young, timid, and fearful Timothy to carry on the gospel. Obviously, it's a different context. It's not World War II, it's not war, it's not nations against nations. But the letter to Timothy is Paul's final charge to his young prodigy and apprentice, to carry the gospel forward despite all the suffering, persecution, and potential hardship that Timothy may or is currently inevitably going to encounter. What Paul, in this letter to Timothy, in essence, is saying is keep calm and carry on, Timothy. You're timid, you're frail, you're weak, you're worried, you're fearful. Keep calm and carry on. Carry on the mission that God has given you, Timothy. It's going to be hard, but carry on the gospel. Keep going. What we'll see throughout these four chapters and over the next eight weeks here at uh, RSB is is, is a really intimate letter from the great Apostle Paul, to his favored son in the faith, Timothy. What we'll see is Paul's heart come through for this young pastor, and it'll become blatantly clear that that Paul is charging Timothy, and he's instructing Timothy for how he too can be faithful and obedient to God as he has. Paul will charge Timothy of how he too, after many, many more years of ministry and faithful service to Christ, can say like Paul can say, which he does say in this letter in chapter 4, that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. What Paul is doing is more than just trying to boost Timothy's morale momentarily, but really to pass the torch that he has carried, of carrying out and furthering the gospel. It's pretty incredible. It's a pretty incredible letter. And this letter is not just intended for young Timothy, though. This charge and Paul's final exhortations and instructions are for all believers. These final words of Paul are for us. Whether or not we're in full-time ministry like Timothy, 
we too are called to be ambassadors, salt and light, to spread the good news, to carry on the gospel to the whole world. There's not one of us that that's not true for. If you're not a believer, if you don't know the Lord, then it's not for you right now. But for those of us that are born again believers in this room, this letter is written for us and to us. And so brothers and sisters, as we, as we hear the words of Paul, don't tune out, but listen as if your name was inserted in the place of Timothy's. Put your name in place of Timothy's and it might read a little bit better for you. Don't make it about Paul. Don't make it about Timothy. Make it about God and you. We're not going to stray from the context, but it is applicable for us. See, the truth is God has plans and purposes and incredible things in store for all of us. We're all part of the furthering of God's kingdom, and Paul's final charge is very relevant to us. Amen? Amen. just want to make sure we're all there. Before we move into the letter, I just want to make sure we're all aware of what is happening or what's intended to happen in this letter. And so what we see in the first, let's just take the first five verses right now, is, is Paul's intro. This is his introduction to his letter, very similar in some regards to other letters. But it's also Paul's remembrance of his times with Timothy. The start of this letter gives us incredible insight into the relationship that Paul and Timothy have and, and their shared history together. There's actually very, very vivid imagery and details that are mentioned. It says that there were tears the last time they parted. There's mentions here of Timothy's family uh, and his family history of his mom and his grandmother. The frequency here of Paul praying for him and the label Paul gives Timothy as his son all show us that there's a very clear, and very clear that there seems to be an important there's an, it's important to note that there's a unique, close, and dear relationship that's here. Because remember, this is called a pastoral epistle. It's a letter from Paul to Timothy. That's what it is. It's a book in our Bible, but it's a letter. It doesn't have chapters originally. It's supposed to be read in one sitting. Paul is writing this to his son, Timothy, his son in the faith, Timothy. To give you some context and to recap their history, kind of to take the book of Acts and the other letters into kind of a, a, a paragraph, I'll, I'll, I'll read you a synopsis of uh, some of how their paths crossed. I think I have it on here. But it says, For over 15 years since Timothy had first been recruited in his hometown, Lystra, Timothy had been Paul's faithful missionary companion. He had traveled with him throughout most of the second and third missionary journeys and had been sent as a trusted apostolic delegate on several special missions. It is not just that Paul has a strong affection for Timothy as a friend whom he had evidently led to Christ. Paul led Timothy to Christ so that he could call him his beloved and faithful child in the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It is also that he had grown to be a trustworthy, trustworthy as his fellow worker, Romans chapter 16, verse 21. And his brother and God's servant in the gospel, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul would go as far to say, I have no one like him, Philippians 2, 20 through 21. 
all, among all Paul's associates, Timothy was unique. They got a great history together. There's a lot to it in Paul's writing of this letter. And what we do know from this letter is that Paul loves and he cares for Timothy. And he sees great calling on his life. I mean, he's really been from the inception of his faith all the way through modeling ministry and giving Timothy responsibilities and see God use Timothy and see God uh, gift Timothy. They have a rich history together. What Paul does here in the the beginning of this letter is he also mentions Timothy's family life. And what we do not see is any mention of a father for Timothy. It looks like that Timothy got his faith passed down from his grandmother and his mother. God bless you, ladies. Timothy is a product of, it would seem like, a household absent of a father figure. And so in many senses, Paul might have been more than a spiritual father to Timothy, but actual earthly father as well. Paul also knows what Timothy will face. Paul had lived through a little suffering or persecution himself, if you know what I mean. He's the epitome of it. According to history and tradition, possibly weeks after Paul had read this letter, he himself would be beheaded in Rome. But what Paul also knew is the beauty and the reward that comes after the suffering and the pain. Paul knew why he had done what he did. Paul knew why he was in prison and who he was in prison for. And Paul was willing to suffer because of who had suffered for him first, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew what Timothy would face. He loved him dearly. But he knew what God had called him to, and he knew it was worth it. Paul would go as far to say, <clears throat> in another letter he wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. This is the New Living Translation. It says this, Paul speaking, This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that, is, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we do not look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen. In this letter, in these words, in essence, were Paul's final words to not only Timothy, but to all of us. They're his blueprints, so to speak, or his instructions, or his final charges of how to live and serve Christ. They are his most important lessons of how to carry on the gospel, of how to push the mission forward, and most importantly, how we can make known to others the Christ that we know so intimately. These are, his, these are Paul's, in, in one way or another, these are Paul's final words to us that we have. All that God has used him in, all that he knows of Christ, all that he knows of God is, 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 is written down for us to young Timothy. 
And the first thing that he does in this letter is he addresses Timothy's gifts. He addresses the giftings that God has given Timothy. Uh, Let's read verse 6 real quick. The NASB would say this, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. New Living Translation says it a little differently, so I'll read it. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. To understand what Paul is saying, to understand this, we need to understand the spiritual gifts God gives all of us. We need need to have have a correct understanding, if you don't already, what the gifts are and what the purpose of the gifts are. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are given and distributed by God and meant to be used to give God glory and for the edification or building up of his church. In one sentence, that's what the gifts are and that's what their purpose is. It's a great way to know if someone's operating in the gifts correctly. Does it give God glory what you're doing or does it give yourself glory? Does it build up others or does it tear down others? It's a real good way, real, real quick to know if the gifts are operating. What we see from Scripture is that when we're saved, when we're born again, when we're truly transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of, of the beloved Son, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it would tell us that we've been sealed with a promise, that we have a pledge of our inheritance, that promise or that pledge being the Holy Spirit. And God gives us, at the moment of true salvation, He gives us His Spirit. We're now the temples of the Holy Spirit. And what comes in addition to not only counsel or teaching or conviction of sin from the Holy Spirit is power to live for Christ. Not only that, but he gives us gifts to live out the gospel for the furthering of God's kingdom. We believe that to be scripturally accurate, that God gives gifts and the gifts are for today. Scripture would tell us that each believer is given at least one gift. Uh, I would say usually more. God's, God's a generous giver. He really wants every man, woman, and child, every tongue, tribe, and nation to know him, and he desires to get all the glory in it, and so he's going to give you a lot of gifts to do that. That's what I believe. And these lists of these gifts are found in a few different places. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. We see it in Romans 12, and we see it in Ephesians 4. If, you, if you're taking notes, you, if you want to just know more about the gifts, exactly what the Bible says, and list them all there, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. For many of us, we, we've, we've, we know these things, but, but just, for a, just so we know a few of them would include prophecy, and teaching, and words of knowledge, and service, and healing, and administration, and so on. There's a lot. There's a lot of gifts that God bestows on his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's important to note, though, is that all these gifts are very different. They're very different. There's a whole spectrum of gifts that God gives. 
And each of us as a whole, as the body, the corporate body, or the corporate church, or the local church, all right, is to actually function in those gifts. Gifts are all different, but all of us are to function in those gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, pretty much the whole chapter, tells us about this. And we're told that we are all individual parts of a whole body. Some are eyes, some are feet, etc. Every one of us has a unique place and a unique purpose to make up the whole body. All cannot and should not have the same giftings. Right, using the, the human analogy, we can't, everyone, everyone can't be feet, everyone can't be eyes. We need to function as a body rightly. And for those of you that have seen the gifts operate and know the gifts a little bit, we cannot have everybody just have the gift of prophecy, yelling, screaming at each other. We cannot just have everybody just telling the, the, the truth of everything and why we're in the ill. We need other giftings. We also just can't have everybody just help everybody else. We need someone to lead this thing. I love the gift of service, but someone, please lead this. Please tell us where we're going. We're all serve each other, but tell us where we're going. We need leadership giftings. We need teaching giftings. We need the gift of encouragement and exhortation. Can you imagine if the gift of encouragement or exhortation just left so depressed? Nobody's, nobody, what if no one ever encouraged you ever? The whole world never had any encouragement. Just, just that alone. Here's the salient point, though. The salient point being that all of us, speaking to all of us, regardless of what giftings we have or don't have, are intricately essential and valuable part of the body. Let me say that again, because sometimes we put more value on certain gifts than we shouldn't. The salient point is that regardless of what giftings we have or don't have, they are all a very integral, essential, and valuable part of the body. Can I get an amen? amen. The gifts that God had given Timothy in this case were to equip him for the work that God had called him to. We like to say when God calls you, he enables you. That's from something like this. God's not going to call you something that he's not going to give you the power or the, the gift to do. That's where we would kind of get that phrase from. But what Paul's doing here is he's encouraging Timothy to use the gifts God had given him to live out his calling. For Timothy, most likely that was authority and power to, minister, to be a minister of Christ. You know, most likely they were teaching and shepherding and pastoral giftings. But for all of us, we have very different lives and different callings and different communities. Uh, not a lot of us at all are pastors. There's only a couple. There's only a couple that are maybe called to, to shepherd and teach in the same way maybe Timothy would in this case. But there's hundreds of you in this room right now. So we, before we move on for a second, we need to understand that, that God has called you, all of us, to different things. He's placed us in different jobs, and we have different spouses, and we have different families, and we have different communities, but we're all part of the furthering of God's kingdom. We're just all a piece of it. 
Trust me, we do not want to all be standing on this stage. Don't make my giftings more glamorous than your giftings. Don't do that. Just because your giftings don't stand on this stage, don't think they're not valuable. I would rather be off this stage than on this stage. But, but I'm not even, I shouldn't even think that way because this is who God's made me. This is who God's called me to be. And so I need to, I need to, I need to be faithful to that. And in the same way, we, we need to do that. You guys need to do that. What has God called you to? It doesn't have to be this huge prophetic calling like go plant a church. Again, I'd rather not have that happen. <laughs> you know, in some sense, I'm just joking. But what is God calling you to? Well, just look at your life right now. That's what he's called you to right now. That's what he's called you to right now. And if you believe what the Bible says, you got at least one gift to help you do that. At least one. I would venture to say you got many. But God has given you supernatural giftings in order to give God glory in your families, in your workspaces, in your communities. God's given you the power to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's giftings that he's given you in order to build up and edify and further his kingdom in all of us. Again, all of our giftings are not going to be the same, but they are all needed to complete the full picture. Amen? In Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, right? We're in 2 Timothy now. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he told Timothy not to neglect the gift inside of him. That's 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. But now, in our text this morning, he says that he must kindle or rekindle it. Or one translation, fan into flame. What does this, what does this mean? How do we fan our gifts into flame? Again, this is an analogy, an illustration that Paul, he, he's, he's trying to make. Your gifts are like a fire, Timothy, and they're supposed to, to be used. You need to rekindle, fan into flame. You need to use the billows, Timothy. You need to stir up the wood. You need to fan in the flame the gifts of God in you. That's what he's saying. But what does that mean? What does that mean for him? What does that mean for you and I? How do we do that? Charles Spurgeon in a sermon on this text, described what Paul meant like this. He said, perhaps also, Timothy was not a man of very forceful action. And he needed every now and then a little touch of the spur to induce him to awaken all his dormant energy to energize himself and his church in passionate labor for Christ. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy in his first epistle not to, neglect the, not to neglect the gift in him. And in this text before us, he tells him to fan into flame that gift. In each case, Paul is sounding the trumpet in his ear and commanding him to passionate action. What Paul means here is that Timothy, despite how he feels, despite his weaknesses or his opposition that he may encounter, that he needs to operate in the giftings that God has given him. He needs to be actively serving Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is doing here is he's passing on the torch to Timothy and saying, Timothy, I've done it. I've ran the race. Now it's your turn. You gotta go. 
You can't live in my shadow any longer. You can't wait for me to move and tell you what to do. God's given you a calling and he's gifted you to do that calling, so do it. Same truth is for us who are in this room today. God has given us all spiritual gifts. He has. Those gifts are to be used to give God glory and for the building up of his church. You know, the way in which we fan into flame the gifts of God is to serve. It's to serve God and serve others. It's to be actively engaged with the mission of God. It's to step out in faith. It's to pray. It's to participate. It's to be active. It's to be used by God. It's, it's, it's this sense of sentness and going and doing. Not for the sake of salvation. You're already saved. You've been saved by grace, not of works. But now, what God says, that you're his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus, and there's good works ahead of you that you might walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. The truth is that God's gifts must be used if they are to reach and maintain their full potential. They got to be used. They have to function. They have to operate. You know, and there's order to this. For some of you, you may be thinking, well, I'm, I ain't got to do the gifts. I'm a little scared of those things. There's order. There's rules. There's regulations. There's boundaries. There's do's and don'ts of how to operate in the gifts. The Bible's really clear on but what the Bible's also really clear on is that we need to use them. They need to operate. They need to be functioning. Spurgeon would go on in that same sermon and say this. <clears throat> there are many kinds of gifts. All Christians have some gift. Some may have only one gift, but all have at least one. The great master has a portion to every saint, uh, excuse me, every servant a gift. No single part of a vital body is without its function and position. True, there are some parts of the body whose function has not yet been discovered. Even the physician or the anatomist has not been able to tell why certain organs are in the human body. Remember, 1800s. Know a little bit more now. Or what, they, or what purpose they serve. But as even these are found to be necessary, we are quite sure that they will fulfill some useful purpose. Truly, there are some Christians who might be put in this category. It might puzzle anybody to know what they are capable of, and yet it is certain that they have some charge committed to them to keep, and that, if they are true believers, they are essential parts of the body of Christ. As every beast, bird, fish, and insect has its own place in nature, so has every Christian a proper position in the economy of grace." No tree, no plant, no weed could be dispensed with, uh, with, without injury to nature's perfect balance. Neither can any sort of gift or grace be lost to the church without injury to her completeness. Every living saint has his or her charge to keep their talent over which they are a steward. A measure of gift is in all of us needing to be fanned into flame. That sums up. That sums up what Paul is saying here. 
sums up what God is saying to us now. And for many of us, we might be like, that's really good, but I don't even know at all what my gifts are. I don't, I don't know what they are. One thing I would say is don't take a test. <laughs> just don't do it. Am I ha- just... This is why. The, I believe the way in which you will know what your spiritual gifts from God are is when you serve Christ and serve others. When you just start being used by God, it will become apparent to you and others around you over time as you serve what your gifts are. It just will. It just will. If you are humble and available and teachable and spirit-filled and you're like, I just want to be used by God and you step out in faith and do it, it will become apparent how God has gifted you. It's actually not even the point. The point isn't even to know the gifts. It's to know the giver of those gifts. The gifts are a means to get God more glory and for more people to be saved. And we're just sinful humans and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And God gives us gifts to do those things. They're tools in the master's hands for his glory. Amen? But also, we can pray and ask God. It does say that we can earnestly desire the gifts and we can pray that God gives them to us and we can pray that God allows us to operate and know our gifts. That's right and good. Do you want to know your gifts? Serve and pray. Or opposite, pray and serve, whatever you want to do. Just don't don't take a test. And lastly, what Paul says here to young Timothy in verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. Or in other versions, it would say, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love of sound and sound mind. Paul would say this because Timothy was timid in all the sense of the word. Literally, that word means cowardice. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Paul, uh, Paul is describing, Paul is calling Timothy a coward. There's no way around that. Paul's good at doing that, right? Just being really honest. I love you, but I'm going to tell you what you need to know. Timothy was young. He was young for, for in, in this setting, what God was calling to you, to you. And so many times Paul would say, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, Timothy. Paul, Timothy was young. And what that meant in people's eyes is that he was maybe unfit. Maybe he wasn't wise enough. Maybe he didn't have enough experience. And that affected him, that he was young. He was also prone to illness, He was not strong physically either. He was actually rather frail. And Paul would talk about the many ailments he had. And even one letter, he would say, hey, drink this tonic for your stomach. And Timothy was a little bit messed up physically. He wasn't this just big, strong man. He he wasn't. He was timid Timothy. And also, he was just plain timid in temperament. He was, he was as introvert as it gets, I guess we could say. He wasn't naturally, you know, from human eyes, maybe the one for this calling. But isn't that how God does it? God sees the heart and not the outward appearance. And his ways are better than our ways. And 
He called Timothy to this calling. And what Paul is reminding Timothy, that there's no room or there's no place for timidity or fear in the economy of God, Timothy. That's not a part of who you are. That's not a part of who God's made you to be. God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind, Timothy. Walk in that. You've been gifted and called by God, and now you need to keep calm and carry on, Timothy. That's what he's telling him. But for us, we may be like Timothy. We might be timid or hesitant to operate in the gifts for different reasons. Like I mentioned previously, we might have had a bad experience with a misuse of the gifts. And so we're really just hands off. We may not understand how to operate in the gifts. We may be afraid of what others, others may think. Or we may just be, you know, we may just, like Timothy, be so wrapped up in what others think about us and their perception of us that it may just paralyze us to live in fear and timidity to be used by God. You know what else can do it? It's fear of failure, right? We messed up, we heard God wrong, we stepped out in faith, it didn't work. We're fe- a lot of us, including myself, are fearful to make a mistake and we're fearful to fall and we're fearful to mess up. And that's just not in the economy of God either. That's just not who God made us. God made us obedient. God made us to be obedient, faithful, empowered by the Holy Spirit believers. Fear and timidity and fear of failure and all that is not from God. It's not. And it may good well be keeping us as a church from moving forward and seeing God move because there may be many of us in this room that are fearful and timid to step out in faith and operate in the giftings God has called us to. And even though we may be in completely different places than Timothy and our giftings might be different, God has all given us gifts. And they're all to be used for his glory And we should earnestly ask God for him. We should operate in him. We need not be fearful. God gives us the power and love to walk in them. And church, we need to heed Paul's final charge here. We need to heed Paul's charge to stir up the gift, to kindle afresh the gift of God in us. Because church, we need to make known to others the Christ that we know so intimately. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for your word and for the truth that we see in it today that all of us God, it would, have been, it would have been enough for you to save us. It would have been enough, Lord. All of eternity isn't long enough to worship you for saving us from our sins. But by your grace, you've now invited us into your mission, into the building of your kingdom, and we're all a part of it. Each and every one of us 
you, you've distributed gifts to. And those gifts, God, are meant to operate and meant to function individually so corporately as a body we could be complete in giving you glory. Lord, would you help us this morning? God, for many of us, we're like Timothy where we're fearful and timid and unsure and fearful. Lord, strip us from those things. We want to be free of those things in Jesus' name. Give us boldness. Give us a spirit of power. Give us courage to be used by you in these ways. Let us not miss out what you're speaking to us here today. There is not anything more important than the God of the universe speaking to us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way with our hearts. We don't even know exactly what that means or how to get there, but we ask that you would stir up those gifts in us. That you would kindle afresh the gift of God that you've placed on us at the moment that we were saved. Holy Spirit, we ask that we'd be more dependent on you more desperate for you that we would know that apart from you we truly can do nothing ask that you'd have your way as we spend this time worshiping you now God we want to worship you in spirit and in truth allow you to minister to us allow you to speak to us Lord and God we ask we, 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 we want to allow ourselves to receive all that you have for us right now if there's gifts that you desire to give us, we say yes and amen right now, Lord. Pour your spirit on this place. Give us gifts that we might give you glory. 